The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. And we have been here uh, for almost two weeks now. So thrilled to be back. As I mentioned before we went off the air a week and a half ago, we took some time off to let our fabulous, fabulous uh, director and producer, Emily Goodwin, have a vacation. So she has had her vacation. We're back. We couldn't be more thrilled to be back. And of course, a lot has happened and we've got big exciting finish to our feel-good February month here on the show before we get started with all of that though I want to remind you of a couple of different things this entire show is meant to be interactive we hope that you will participate with us and there are lots of different ways in which you can do this so Emily's gonna cycle through some of the different ways that you can get in touch with us I'll remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com when you go there, there's an array of different things you can do, including checking out our blog. But you'll see a computer screen. If you click on the little triangle that's there on the computer screen, you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show. And then to the side of that long, skinny white box, you can put your cursor there, and everyone can do this. Put your cursor there, type away whatever you would like to ask or suggest, hit enter, and it will show up here on my screen. Uh, there's a little bit of a lag, maybe two minutes. That box is open 24 hours a day seven days a week and boy did you guys write in a lot of stuff while we were gone I can't wait to dig in and start answering some of the just amazing questions that you guys have asked so we hope that you will participate we remind you that that is entirely free there is no cost to participate in that way you can write in and, and say hey I'm having a bad day today and there is no judgment you can write in and say hey I'm having a good day. Uh, you can write in and say, I need to understand they said this at the IEP, or what does this word mean, or what do I do when my child does X, Y, and Z. I do remind you that we can't give child-specific advice here on the show. No one can give child-specific advice here because there isn't enough uh, information that you can give us in this format that we can give child-specific. But having said that, there's our experts come in and, and share a wide range of knowledge that helps point you in the direction that you need to go in. And by the way, this show is meant to be for parents, teachers, practitioners working with an individual on the autism spectrum, but it's also for individuals who are on the spectrum themselves. So having said all of that, I hope that you will participate with us. It's really what's reinforcing for us. If you watch the show, you know what that means. Uh, it means it's rewarding for us. We like it when you guys participate. I hate to feel like I'm, I'm sitting in a room talking to a camera by myself. So I love it when you guys talk to me, then it becomes a conversation. There is no wrong question. 
there is no stupid question, right? Uh, we all came into this arena, nobody was born knowing everything that there was to know about autism. So uh, we, we appreciate the ability to learn. And uh, since we're on that track, let me remind you that I'm not an expert in autism. Oh, no. Um, but I am a parent. I am a former teacher too, and I'm a parent who my son was diagnosed with autism when he was two and a half. And he is now 10, 10 and a half-ish, moving towards 11. And we have seen tremendous progress. And we saw tremendous progress, and we continue to see tremendous progress when we use tools that were given to us. And I don't always. Please don't think for a second that I am some paragon of virtue, that I learned all these tools and that I use them well. That would be incorrect. But when I do remember to use them, and when I remember to use them well and often, we see progress and and that's an amazing thing so uh, I come to you very humbly and say let's learn together but I am not the expert oh not by a long shot so uh, having said all of that we hope that you will participate and bring your experience your strength your hope to this show to participate with us we like to start every morning with something that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day this is when we take on one word one phrase one acronym that someone might spew towards us somewhere in the autism community at some point and that we go huh what or what does that have to do with this or i don't think that word means the same thing as i thought it meant a week ago before i was dealing with this so uh and today's word is for sure one of those words because it's mastery now this is a word that we hear and that we use and uh you know we, we talk about having mastered something, right? Or somebody showing great mastery at something, especially I, I, where I can think of it is in the music world that somebody say, oh, says, oh, you know, she demonstrates great mastery at the violin or the cello, you know? Um, and it's not that far what we're talking about with autism, but there, it does get a little dicey, let's say that. So what is mastery when we're talking about autism and in particular when we're talking about ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis? Let's look at our actual definition. Mastery is the point at which the child is said to have successfully acquired the target behavior determined by previously established criteria. Now I put the word child in here, but the truth of the matter is that mastery is when anybody gets to a point where they're said to have successfully acquired the target behavior determined by previously established criteria. Okay. I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and underslept and overwhelmed and I go, okay, what, you know, and I start squinting at it going, what the heck does that mean? What's the target behavior and what's the previously established criteria, right? So let's take a look at our working definition for mastery. Uh, so our working definition for mastery is when the child is independently demonstrating the desired skill at the desired level. So let's say that we're going to teach somebody something and um, let's say that we're going to teach them how to kick a soccer ball into the net. We're before we begin to teach it, if we're good teachers, we got to sit down and come up with a plan of how do we think we're going to teach this? And we have to have some way of measuring when we know that the child has gotten it. I always think of uh, my fair lady, you know, by George, she's got it. Uh, you know, when do we get to that point? Uh, what's it going to look like when this individual that we're teaching how to hit, uh, how to kick a ball into a 
field goal, uh, when will we know that they've gotten it? Because if they do it once, if they can kick the ball once and get it in there, are we done? Does that mean that the child knows how to kick the ball into the net? Um, probably not. So we have to think to ourselves, how will we know when we're done? That's how we're going to set up our specific criteria. And the thing about this that's so important is that we remember not to let the tail wag the dog. Before we've even taught, and teachers do this all the time, you have to set up, you know, you say, I'm going to teach this skill. How am I going to teach it? How am I going to know when I taught it? Right? And you set up these criteria, but you don't allow, if you're a good teacher, you don't allow what you set up to prevent you from teaching. What do I mean by that? So if I say to myself, all right, I'm going to decide that if, um, not having taught the skill yet, I'm going to decide that I'm going to use these tools to teach my child how to kick the, the ball into the net. And I'm going to decide that the child has mastered this when they can kick five out of 10 field goals, five out of 10 times that I put the ball in front of them and they kick it, it goes into the goal 50% of the time, right? And by the way, it's going to be different for everything that we teach. I'm not much of a soccer player, so I, I that seems a little high to me, actually, 50% of the time. But if I'm teaching my child how to successfully look both ways before crossing the street, it's got to be 100% before I consider them mastered, right? So your mastery criteria is really going to depend, first of all, on what the skill is and what's required from the skill and what's reasonable, right? So if I say in the beginning, all right, 50% of the time, five out of 10 trials, the child can kick it and get it into the net is what I'm going to call mastery. But what I might discover, and by the way, this is just for teaching them how to kick the ball when nobody else is kicking the ball, right? Eventually, I'd have to move on to another skill of, you know, teaching it when other people are challenging them. So um, if I say that it's 50% of the time, what I might see is that the child gets frustrated um, and, and doesn't want to do it 10 times, right? There are all kinds of things that can go wrong. But I might realize that the child doesn't really enjoy kicking the ball into the net that much, but they can do it, right? And then I got to make a judgment call about, do they really have it? Do they have the skill and it's just not that reinforcing? Do I need to make it more reinforcing for them? Or does this child have this as much as this, this child's not going to be a soccer player, doesn't enjoy playing soccer, but I want them to know how to kick a ball into a net they've got it, right? So sometimes you get to a point, you've set your mastery criteria and you get to a point and you go, you know what, they have it. I know that it doesn't match what it says here, um, but maybe I overshot the limit. Maybe being able to kick the ball in 50% of the time isn't accurate, uh, you know? Uh, do they have the skill at a level that I want them to? So that's what I mean about don't let the tail wag the dog. It's really important though, before you teach anything to a child that you, take into account a couple of different things. You, you want to take into account what the child enjoys doing. You want to take into account how they learn. If I want to teach someone how to do something and I know that they're a really good hands-on learner and that they really don't have the patience to sit and hear a lecture and I decide that I want to deliver the information in a lecture, I'm not setting anybody up for success. I'm not setting myself up. I'm not setting up the individual for success, right? So you want to think about how the child learns, uh, what keeps them motivated, right? And you want to think about at what point do I 
think this skill will be mastered? And what do I want to do to make sure that this skill is generalized? Which means it's going to be able, they're gonna be able to transfer this skill to other things in other places at other times with other people. All of these things we think about before we begin to teach. It seems like a lot, but it really isn't. And it really is the recipe for success thinking about all those things. And by the way, if you're working with an ABA provider and we talk a lot, we're gonna be talking a lot this year about what quality ABA looks like, you wanna make sure that your ABA provider is thinking about all those things. If they say, oh, well, we're adding a new lesson to teach your child, um, you wanna listen and hear what's the mastery criteria. And you wanna listen and hear what's the plan for generalization. If you're not hearing those things, ask and say, what's the mastery criteria? And what's the plan for generalization? And if they go, uh, you're with the wrong provider. That should be something that is right there, that they can say, the mastery criteria is this, and the plan for generalization is this. There shouldn't even be a pause in that conversation. One of the many ways you can tell if you're with a really good ABA provider. Okay, moving on. We always like to have a question in the morning to give you guys, uh, and hopefully you have a second at some point during the look on Facebook to see what you guys have to say about it. We want to know what area of your life would you like to make progress on? Now, some of you are going to write in and say what area of your child's development um, or your teenager's development that you'd like to work on. And that's a part of your life too. That's fair game. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people say, oh, we're so involved in our children's lives. Yeah. <laughs> well, what would you have us be, right? Uh, so that's fair game, but it's also fair game if it's something that you wanna work on within yourself that's removed from your child. Uh, Cause we're talking about progress and what area of your life, nobody gets to decide that but from you and all these things are part of your life, right? So I'd love to hear what area of your life you guys would like to make progress on. I want, I'm naming it, because you know what uh, they say, you have to name it to claim it. I want to be physically stronger and more healthy. That's the thing that I want to make progress on um, I, more than anything else, right? So we start by saying, this is what I want. And then we're gonna find a roadmap of how we can all make that happen. Okay, we always have a topic of the week and our topic this week, I love this topic. We've done this a couple of times because it's such a good topic, making progress. You know, so much of the time we get caught up in where we want to arrive at. Where do I want to be? Where, you know, by this and so time, I want to be at this. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's important to have goals. But the truth of the matter is, is that nobody ever achieved any goal or got to anything good. First of all, I don't think there's arriving, but you do achieve goals, right? And then you have to move the goalpost further away. But nobody got to any of the good stuff without making a little bit of progress and a little bit of progress and a little bit of progress and a little bit of progress. You know, um, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and say, this is too much to be done. And we're so far behind, whether it's, you know, your child's skills, the child's verbal skills, or whether it's, you know, that you've gained weight and you're like, I've gained so much weight, it's never going to be what I want it to be. Um, or you're behind in your bills and you go, I, you know, it just gets overwhelming, right? But if we set about to make a little bit of progress, progress builds and builds and builds. Um, and I'm trying to think of what the, there's a great equation uh, that strength 
over time equals success. Strength over time each equals success. And I think that that's what progress is, is, is demonstrating strength over time. Um, being able to do just a little bit and then a little bit more, it's that snowball effect. And it applies to absolutely anything. It applies to working with individuals with autism. It applies to whittling down overweight or debt or, you know, being able to stop smoking, uh, what have you, whatever it is that you want to make progress on. If we, if we take it and I know we've done chunk it before, uh, where we take it, you know, take it in chunks and say, we're going to work on this. We're going to work on this, but, uh, we will be able to make progress. And the one thing that I want to say, uh, before we go on to anything else is that more than anything else, uh, I want people to know in the autism community that this is available to all of us to make progress. If somebody has told you that there is an end, that this is how much you can progress, or this is how much your child can progress, or this is what the expectation is, right? We, I, I think most of us have been there where somebody, and okay, maybe they were well-intentioned, I don't know, um, but a, a doctor or, or someone, a counselor, a teacher said, well, that's not going to happen, or this won't be possible, or whatever limited thinking they had that they laid on on us or our kids. The number of parents that I've met that they, you know, they were told, oh, your child will never go to college. Your child will never do this. I, I just want to remind you that they don't have a crystal ball. None of us have a crystal ball and that progress is available to all of us and to all of our individuals on the autism spectrum. Everyone will end up in someplace different but I don't know where that end point is and none of us does. That's the truth of it. And, and if we get into where is the finish line, sometimes we miss the ability to see the journey and all the good things in the journey and, and all the fabulousness of making progress. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. It is feel good February. And so we've got a lot of different things planned for this week that uh, to seal the deal on the Feel Good February. I really am very excited about it. So some of the different things that we have going on today. Alex Plank is going to be with us in just a few minutes. Alex is uh, an amazing young gentleman, a filmmaker, and the, the really uh, he created, he is the mastermind behind wrongplanet.com. Net. And we'll have him remind all of you what Wrong Planet is. And we've got some great questions from him for, uh, for him. And then a little bit later this hour, we're going to have Todd Ryan with us for the first time joining us via Skype. He is the mastermind behind a show called Bot. And this is the thing that we've all been waiting for, right? It is an animated, computer-generated animation, beautiful show for children it is not about autism, but is specifically tailored to be enjoyed by individuals who are on the autism spectrum. It's sensory friendly. 
and it picks topics that are we know are exciting to the vast majority of individuals on the autism spectrum. So very excited to have Todd here with us to talk to us about BOT, because you're going to be hearing a lot more about that. And then in the second hour, we're going to have Matt Asner back, awesome autism dad, and also the executive director of Autism Speaks Southern California. The conversation always gets a little wild and woolly around here when we have Alex and Matt, and so that's something to look forward to. But right now, we're going to take a break and hopefully we're going to have some time to get to some of the things that you guys wrote in. I'm going to save a lot of them for Ask Dr. Doreen tomorrow, uh, but we will get to some questions today, hopefully. So stick with us. Hi, I'm Ryan with Autism Research Group. We study ways to improve the lives of kids with autism. One of those ways is teaching safety skills, such as what to do if they get lost. We hit the streets to find out if anybody knows the correct answer on how to teach a kid what to do if they get lost. You're teaching a child. What to do if they get lost. Yeah, you're trying to okay. make them independent so they have the skills. Gotcha, okay. Well, give them a compass. Codename's good idea, Centurion. We always have this whistle. Um. Oh, I'd also tell the kid, I tell the kid, don't get scared. All, you're gonna be all right, man. This is just the world. You're this is planet Earth. You're at home here. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're at home. As long as you're on planet Earth, you're home. This guy's a genius. With that flawless logic, he just solved our homeless problem. And as for the unique sounding whistle, although very cool, it'll probably only work if you're in close proximity. And a compass. I have her call me. Yeah, she doesn't have a phone. Parents are like, you're too young, you don't need a phone. Establish some sort of like meeting place. What if they can't find a meeting place? Because sometimes mm. the kids get nervous when they get lost. Yeah. Is there like a backup plan? Well, like well, plan B? Yeah, I don't know. No, not really. Let them go and find a new kid or something. <laughs> yeah, I've got a different one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not much you can do. There is stuff like, you can do. Like... That's right, there is stuff you can do. In 2012, myself, along with my colleagues, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and Dr. Adele Nadowski, published a study in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis on teaching kids what to do when they get lost. The study demonstrated how three simple things, rules, role playing, and praise, were effective in establishing these help-seeking behaviors. The benefit of this method is it doesn't require the child to have a cell phone or to have to locate a meeting place, which might be difficult if they're in a place like Disneyland. So once again, our method included rules, role playing, and praise. Let's head back outside and learn about some of these rules. They should yell out loud. Can't find my mom, my mom, help me. Maybe yell out and scream for help. All right, scream really loud. Correct. And if that don't work, then... I don't know. Well, they could seek help from someone. Find an adult. Yeah, go to a vendor, you know, and say I'm lost. Find an adult, like a police officer, or a fireman, or an employee in the store, and tell them, and maybe they can help you contact your parent. It really is that simple. You don't need to get your kid a cell phone. You don't need to establish a meeting place that they might not be able to find when they're lost and panicking. And you definitely don't need to give them a compass. All your kid has to do is three things. First, yell mom or dad real loud. Two, if that doesn't work, find an employee. And then third, tell the employee they're lost. If they can't locate an employee, then tell them to find a mother with children because that's probably the safest person to approach. I'm not saying that most men are predators, but most predators are men. That is a fact. I've read it in a fortune cookie. All right, so you've gone over the rules with your kid and you've quizzed them and they're able to tell you the correct responses so they understand the rules. But is that enough? 
How do you know they're gonna perform correctly in a real world setting? You need to get out there and find out if they can actually do it. So they'd go over the rules and tell them like, do this, do that, but how would you know if they actually knew what to do? If you wanted to shoot a basketball, and I just told you, oh, when you shoot a basketball, do this, this, and this. I never, never practice. You never practice. Yeah, so it doesn't matter how many times we go over the rules or how well you can repeat them back to me. It's not going to change until you get on the court and practice. Maybe do uh, like a, you know, a little skit with them. Like a role play. Role like... play. Yeah. Your child. You're lost in the toy aisle. Okay. What do you do? I'm an attendant walking around. <laughs> I'm lost. I don't know where my mom is. And then once you practice, you just like praise them, give them feedback, like good job, you did it. Yes, this woman wins the prize for best comment. She pointed out the most important part of learning, reinforcement. Now, in our study, we used praise, but for your kid, you might have to use something else. You might have to buy them a treat, a toy, take them to their favorite restaurant where they can eat unhealthy food and run around and climb through plastic tunnels that have the unmistakable scent of urine and then play games spending $20 to get a plastic little spider ring that they will eventually lose in the ball pit. The point is, you need to reward your child for correctly demonstrating what you've been teaching them. Okay, I'm gonna call her. Hello, your child, Ryan. <laughs> so you tested it out I'll in the store <laughs> to make sure I knew it. I had the rules, yes. we role played it and you made sure I knew it, and then like you said, good job, and all that. Now we're good to go. We're good to go. All right. Done? High five right there. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. Give your child the rules, get out there and practice, and reward your child for responding correctly. For more information, please visit us online at autismresearchgroup.org. I'm Ryan Bergstrom. Thanks for watching. Yes, ding, no. <laughs> Yes, this woman wins the first. Yes, this woman. Yes, this woman wins the best. Yes, this woman wins the first place. Yes, this woman. Why can't I say what? Yes, this woman wins. What's the line? Yes. Welcome back to Autism Live. Just a, a brief note before I forget that this Saturday, March 1st, there are a couple of different things that I want to remind you that are going on. Uh, if you're in the Southern California area, Fullerton Cares, which is a wonderful charity organization that benefits lots of different autism programs, is holding their fifth annual Mardi Gras for Autism. And it is uh, an amazing, amazing event. And Larry Hauser, who's been on the show before, who is the co-owner of the Bourbon Street bar and grill fabulous incredible food it, he's an autism dad and he puts this event together we're so excited to be joining them there autism live will be there we'll have a booth and we'll be trying to get as many of you on camera as we possibly can so if you are in the southern california area stop by uh come into our little tent area and be on camera with us and meet us well the whole crew will be there emily will be there i will be there and there will be some other people from autism live but listen to this. The Medieval Times is going to be there. The Aquarium of the Pacific is going to be there. iForce One is going to be there doing eye exams for kids. There's going to be game trucks. There's a magician who's going to be there. Autism Live will be there. There's a police exhibit, a fire exhibit, the Dixie Delics. There'll be karaoke. There's a dance academy that's going to be there, a circus club, a bounce house zone, face painting. It's spectacular. So we will be there. It is a free event. There will be opportunities to buy things and to participate. Um, 
and the money goes to support Fullerton Cares, which supports autism. So a really remarkable event that's this Saturday, March 1st. It is from 10 to 4.30 in Fullerton, California. And it is called Mardi Gras for Autism. And write us if you want more information or you can check out their website. But right now, here in the studio, we have with us the wonderful Alex Plank, who's looking a little bit Hollywood and Joe Cool today in his sunglasses. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but thrilled to have you here. Welcome back to Autism Live. Thanks. These are actually for sensory issues. Yes. Like if you have trouble with fluorescent lights and yes, and and so Alex will be wearing his sunglasses yeah. today. So you do. You look like you're off to Hollywood. You're going to go to one of the big award dinners. That's what it looks <laughs> wearing like. Wearing sunglasses. To yes, dinner? that's where they do. I, sometimes, I, well, well, some people do. You but. know, actors sometimes have because they've had such intense light in their eyes. Their light, their eyes don't adjust, and so to save their eyes, they will well, sometimes. It's like when you have to walk the red carpet, it's like yeah. all those flashes. You yeah, get it's blind. very. Yeah. yeah, it's sensory. Because they have like. 60 photographers that all take the same picture craziness right so. and you're not completely unused to that you're somebody who walks uh, a number of red carpets from time to time yeah once in a while and uh we should also mention that uh part of how you have come to your fame is because you started the website wrongplanet.net and that's mm -hmm. a wonderful resource for people to go to uh the largest of its kind tell us just a little bit about wrongplanet.net well it's just the largest website for people with autism parents of people with autism, professionals. Uh, we have uh, discussion forums, uh, it's a social network. We have articles, how-to guides, videos. We have a TV show where people can learn social skills and yeah. various interviews about autism. And uh, there's a chat room for lifetime communication as well. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, we have 80-something thousand members. And you're about to roll out a new, mm -hmm. uh, a, a, a new, new design on the, on the website, so it'll soon, be that much more user-friendly. As soon as possible. Yeah, as soon as possible. And, but we should also mention, too, that you are the consultant behind the really quality way that uh, autism spectrum disorder is portrayed on the hit TV show, The Bridge. Yeah, on FX. Yes. Uh, we're back on our second season. Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so if people are watching that show and you're in the community, and, you, and they don't flat out say autism Never on say the show. It. Well, yeah, it's clear that she has it. And, right. And we did in the press materials. So, and they hired me to work with Diane Kruger, the actress who plays uh, a character called Sonia Cross, who's the lead uh, in the show. And she's a detective in El Paso. And she works uh, with a Mexican uh, police officer to solve crimes. Yeah, because they're right there at the border mm -hmm. and the things right that on happen. The border between El Paso uh, and Juarez. Yeah. And it's an amazing show. It's uh, it's not appropriate for your kids because it's, it's that <laughs> no, kind of show. It's, it's on uh, later at night and uh, 10 p.m. But you know what's amazing to me is that I have friends who didn't who didn't read all the press material and didn't know that that was what was going on with that character. Yeah. Uh, and and talked about how much and there are people who are not on the spectrum and talk about how much they identify with some of her sensory issues. So I really think and those of us who are in the community and watch it, it's really well done and and obviously she is a brilliant actress. We don't want to make it sound and the writing is great and the direction is great, but you're a big part of it as well, Alex, making sure and consulting with them so that there is an accurate portrayal of an individual on the spectrum. Right. Which is so important because, you know, everybody is different on the spectrum. That's true. Uh, but uh, really remarkable. So today, and when when does the, I know you guys are about to start filming the second ep the second season, but when, when will it uh, debut on uh, the air? August, I think. Okay, yeah. so a little while still. So 
in, in talking about our topic this week, our topic is making progress. And Alex, you yourself are someone who you talk freely about the fact that you are on the spectrum uh-huh. and you are a great example of somebody who's been very successful. Right. And we talk about that a lot. And I think a lot of people watch the show and say, oh my gosh, you know, if my child did as well as Alex does. Um, and I, I always notice how well you adapt, that that's something that you do really well. So my question to you today is, what do you do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do I do when I don't know what to do? Yeah, what's the process that you go through when you're faced with a new situation well, or something that's befuddling you? I just do whatever I think the best possible thing is to do and hope it's right. And if it's not, I try something else and eventually we'll get there, okay. get to the correct uh, place. I mean, if, if you don't know what to do, uh, you, you try out things. You see what yeah. works. You try out things and they'll fail. You'll right. have, you know... A lot of times where you try something and it doesn't work, and that that is part of the process. But, I, and that's like that's the one thing though that people have a lot of trouble with. It's that they take these failures personally and they think that that is bad. When in reality, you, those failures are good. Okay. I mean, you you want to have failures. If you're not failing at all, it means you're not doing anything right you're not going outside your comfort zone you're not learning you're not adapting so you do end up failing a lot i think so what i'm hearing then is that there's a a level of perseverance and a decision that you make that i i am gonna fail but that's not gonna stop me yeah well no it's it's not that it's just that i mean failure is part of of the process of succeeding yeah. That is the, the process of, of of getting to success requires at least some failures yeah if you're not failing, you're doing something wrong, I think. I don't disagree at all. I think it's really important to so. allow yourself uh, that ability to do that. But I would also say too, Alex, that I, you know, I watch you. Sometimes we've been to a, uh, many different things, big events, small events, and I watch how you carry yourself. Um, uh-huh. and, and one of the things that I've noticed is that you're not afraid to ask questions. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not afraid to ask questions. And I think a lot of people are. Right. Afraid to ask questions. Well, I questions. think people are afraid that they're, 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 they might have a question that comes off as stupid or they might seem bad, but I don't think that's true. Well, and I think none of us wants to look like, none of us wants to look like we don't know what to do. And I have seen you in circumstances where I didn't know what to do, and I, but I wasn't saying anything. Well, what's an example of that? I, I remember last year being at the um, the autism walk, and there was something, I'm not sure what it was that was going on, but there was something that I was standing there, and I was like, oh, I'm not really sure how this is working. I don't really know what to do. So I kind of just hung back, and my thing that I do is I watch other people to see mm-hmm. what they're doing. And I saw you doing that as well, but I think you got a little bored with it, and you said, what's happening here? And you turned to me and said, so what is it that's going on? And I said, oh, I don't know. And But I wasn't doing anything about it. So then you turned to the next person and said, what are we supposed to be doing? And and we got the answer. But there were a bunch of us that were what, standing. What were we supposed to be doing? Walking or something? No, I don't yeah. even remember what it, I don't even remember what the context was. But there was something, but there was a bunch of us mm-hmm. that were standing there that we were like, I don't know what to do. But none of us wanted yeah. to look stupid. I by didn't look saying, stupid by asking you didn't at, You didn't look stupid by asking. That's but a, I think there, we, the sometimes we have that fear that if mm-hmm. I say what's happening and if I ask a question, that then everybody will know that I right. don't know what to do. I know what you mean. And and I think that really what it is is that 
people are get self-conscious um, and they're afraid of looking stupid but in reality uh, everyone else is not thinking about how those people look they're trying to think about what they're supposed to do so everyone has the same same insecurity so if you go out there and do something you're actually not going to be looked down upon because everyone else is also insecure yeah. about the situation but that takes so much and if they're self... not then you get your answer and you can go about doing what you want to do yeah but i think that takes so much self-esteem to be able to say that alex yeah um to be able to say you know i'm okay and everybody else is uh you know, right. in their space, and that I'm going to be okay no matter what. What do you think? Do you think that's just a measure of who you are? Do you think that's part of your upbringing? Well, I think it's just something I realized, and I just been in so many situations where I, most people would be incredibly embarrassed, and I just realized that it doesn't matter, and also that people aren't going to be thinking about you. Yeah. I mean, people have this idea that, oh, you know, they're so insecure about how other people perceive them. When in reality, everyone else is just thinking about how um, everyone else perceives them. <laughs> exactly. So they're not thinking about you or some, you know, zit that you have. They probably don't even notice because right. they're so they're in their own head. self-involved. Yeah. Right. Everybody is self-involved. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, were you always someone, though, who... Because I, I see you being very okay in social situations. Were you always that way, or was there a time as a child when you were you where you were embarrassed and your feelings got hurt? Yeah, of course. I mean, I've, that's part of growing up, I think. But I think that if I had had the I, the mentality that I do now when I was younger, I would have been much happier. But I guess my question is, how did you get to this mentality? What happened that made you be in this space? I don't know. I just sort of a epiphany I had when at some point. I don't know if it was gradual or just all of a sudden. So yeah, I just had an epiphany. But do you now get, do you get ever embarrassed? Yeah, of course. I mean, once in a while, but I really, for the most part, I try to, but then I realized that I shouldn't be embarrassed or okay. I shouldn't. So that's sort of the self-talk that you uh, Yeah, do. I get so insecure all the time still. It's just not as much as I used to. And I guess obviously okay. it comes across as being very, uh, having self-esteem. And confident. You come across yeah. as very confident and assured and that you know what you're doing and that there is a level of confidence when you're confident enough to say, I don't know what's happening here. Can right. somebody tell me? That's To me, that's you know part of the definition of self-confidence. Yeah. Uh, but as a parent, I would love to teach that to my child. And there are things that I work on but I don't when know it's if a it's feeling... really something you can teach is more... I, I feel like maybe... Is you just need to keep instilling that as a value by explaining it or, or sort of saying things to your kid in a way that makes them realize what I just mentioned is the case. Did your parents do that? What kinds of things did your parents say to you that made you feel I, like your self-worth? I don't know. I, yeah, they just were very supportive. Uh, I think that's really important to have supportive parents and, and ones who believe that you have uh, you know unlimited potential because... A lot of times I see parents sort of have this idea that the kid's going to at best be working at McDonald's when in reality it's, you know, not grim. Yeah. Not that there's anything grim about working at McDonald's, but I mean, it's just like that's like a minimum wage job. And I mean, that's like even like a stretch for some parents they have to like even hope yeah. that they'll be their kid will be able to do that. But in reality, the parents should be having 
shooting for the the stars, as they say. Yeah. Well, you know, our whole topic this week is about making so, progress. And I don't know if you heard before you came on, I was talking about the fact that if somebody has said to you, if somebody has put some sort of limiting belief on you, whether it's for yourself or your child, you mm -hmm. know. But but you have to understand that 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 uh, even if someone puts a limiting belief on you, uh, it's you who who decides what you believe. I mean, you, exactly. can't, you can't rely on others to make you feel a certain way. I mean, as kids, it's hard not yeah. to rely on your parents or be very influenced yeah. by them. But when you get older, it's, you, it's really, you shouldn't care about what other think, people think about you, really. I love Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. See, that's 100% accurate. Yeah. I agree with that, uh, but I, you know, that's a hard thing to instill in a, in a teenager or a preteen while they're going through all those things. Uh, but obviously, it's a process that has to be worked through. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's teenagers always have self-esteem issues. You know, yeah. every teenager has issues and goes through. It's a lot of changes that are going on in sort of the process of becoming an adult and kids making fun of you and yeah. everything that's related to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're we're getting ready to take a break, and then we're going to come back and have an interview with Todd Ryan, who is the creator of a new series called Bot, that is specifically it's not about autism, um, but it's specifically tailored to go to the interests of an individual who is on the autism spectrum. But before we do that, I wanted to give Alex a second to talk about he's got a speaking engagement that's coming up this week, and so Alex, tell us where it is that you're going and what you're going to be speaking about. Well, I'm going to Alabama. Uh, let me find the, the 13th annual Alabama Autism Conference. Um, in I have to see how to pronounce this. <laughs> it's like t hold on. It's, uh, it's called uh, Tuscaloosa, okay. Alabama. Okay. Um, and I'm going to be speaking on. Uh, I guess Friday. We, we need you to chin up just a little bit because oh, we're I'm looking. Sorry, I'm looking. Oh, that's okay. Oh. I know. Um, I'm trying to just look at the final brochure. So, so I can but see. if you're in Alabama and you want to hear Alex speak, you can hear him. You're speaking on Friday night. Mm, am I? Isn't that what you just said? I'm, I'm looking at the brochure now. Hold on. Okay. I'm not entirely sure exactly when I'm speaking. Or if <laughs> but I imagine if you were to Google Alabama Autism Alex Plank, you're going to be able to find the information about uh, where to go to be able to hear Alex in, in live in person speaking. And we believe it's on Friday, but we're going to double check that. Yeah. Uh, oh, here it is. Here's the, okay. the schedule. I am speaking at 315. They can't hear you though. Put, oh, your I'm speaking... Put your phone up a little bit so that they can, yeah, there we go. I'm speaking at 315 on Friday. Okay, 315 on Friday. So if you want to hear Alex uh, you can, and you're in the Alabama area, a great thing to do. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with a wonderful Skype interview with Todd Ryan from BOT. Stick with us. You find out you're having a boy you always think like oh he's gonna play football he's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away it's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind you know where is he what is he
is he doing? Is he safe? We really didn't know what we were dealing with. I wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information. I was a young mom. I didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism. Hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country. Act Today is determined to bridge the gap. These families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpache, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and then they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle, and without that, they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog, so we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, ACT Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp. And they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart. So it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community.
Welcome back to Autism Live. We are joined right now via Skype by Todd Ryan. We are so excited to have him here from North Carolina. He is the mastermind behind a new show called Bot. It's not about autism, but it's specifically tailored to be of interest to children who are on the spectrum. So Todd, welcome to Autism Live. Hello, thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you. Tell us, uh, what is Bot? Bot is an original series that I'm putting together, and it's for children. Well, it's really for all kids, but specifically it's made for children with certain sensitivities and whatnot. And because my son's autistic, but he's 16 now. And I remember back in the day, there were only a couple of shows that he really enjoyed. Of course, Thomas the Tank Engine. They all seem to love that. Yeah. And he liked the quieter, simpler shows. And uh, a lot of the Pixar movies and Saturday morning cartoons would overstimulate him. And it's, we couldn't take him to a movie theater. It was too, it was too much for him. Wow. But uh, so about a year ago, I came up with this idea of why not make a show just for them. And I have all the tools. I have all the software the know-how. So that's what I've been doing in my free time, is just putting this together as much as I can. And in just a second, we're going to watch uh, a clip from what you've done, but there's a way for people to participate with you and to help you to make this come to fruition, right, Todd? Yeah, a, this is actually a very important part, is I've done pretty much all the work myself, and yet I need help. It's as simple as that. I need to bring in more animators. I need to rent some studio space uh, for the uh, sound recording, bring in voice talent. We don't need a lot of money because a lot of the people that have been helping or, uh, and will help, they want to volunteer because there are local animators here. And there are animators overseas that have contacted me, Portugal, Scotland, Ireland, they all want to contribute, but it does cost some money. And so we're on Indiegogo right now. It's Indiegogo.com. If you key in autism, I'm sure Bot will come up, or you can go to my website. There's a link to it there, botshow.org. And it just, we just need a little help with sound recording, bringing in more animators. So there are some great ways for people to donate. If they go to your Indiegogo account, uh, there's some great perks that come hand in hand with it. But let's show them, Todd, what it is that you're doing so that they know why they should participate. So let's take a look at what right. Bot's all about. Great. Todd, and I'm the creator of Bot. It's an animated series for children with special needs. And we just need a little help with pre-production, some of the recording and remastering or mixing. Uh, I need to bring in some more animators and then some post-production work. But most of the prep work is done, the modeling, design work, the scene files, most of them are together. So let me introduce you to Emily and she will explain everything in better detail.
The story centers on Bot and his pet android Toolbot and their adventures on the planet Kashmir, a planet much like Earth. It is there where they meet all kinds of characters, such as Milo the steam engine, and a wide variety of talking trucks, dragsters, motorcycles, and 18-wheelers. Each webisode will focus on a new adventure with Bot and friends. The tone of the series will be more subdued and patient, unlike most animated series which tend to be quite loud and overblown. The music and sound effects of Bot will be autism sensitive. The idea is to entertain and calm, not overstimulate and overwhelm. All of the concept work is finished. We just need help with bringing all of the more costly elements together. Sound recording and mixing, bringing in more animators, and of course, post-production. So we just have been watching uh, a video about this fantastic show that is in production right now. Todd Ryan is with us from North Carolina, and he is the mastermind behind BOT. And I know earlier, Todd, you mentioned that your son is on the autism spectrum. So is that what inspired you to create this? It's That was exactly it, because I remember when he was little, if we let him, he would just watch the same show over and over and over again. I mean, he could spend all day watching Thomas the Tank Engine right. just over and over again. And so I, I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner, but it just why not make something just for them? Well, and we, we need to go back to the point that it's not a show about autism. No. Uh, at all. You're not using the word autism while you're doing it. It's just that in your planning of how you're creating the show, you're, it's autism friendly. So it won't overstimulate the kids. So somebody could plop down a completely neurotypical uh, three-year-old, and they're going to find it interesting, too, and never know that it was that, that it has this sort of underlying thing going on. It's very clever. Very, very I, clever indeed. I, yeah, and, I think that's for, Go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. I think that's important. I published two ebook versions of Bot on Amazon. And it's just a, you can get it for your Kindle. It's just a uh, uh, children's book version of Bot. And most all of the people who have purchased, purchased it so far have been neurotypicals. There, they, it's because yeah. that's really, well, it's for everyone. Yeah. And so when, you know, I, I know this is putting the cart a little bit before the horse, but when, when the show is done and you're marketing it, I'm curious as to whether you will tell people that it's autism friendly or whether you'll let that just be the asterisk. Well, I've had some people say it's a great idea. You should use that to promote it. And I've had other people say, no, don't do that. Yeah. Just just let it exist on its well, own. Well, if it's a show that, and it's appealing to everyone, I don't see any reason to say it's specifically tailored for autism, especially concerning the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of neurotypical people already are watching it. I mean... 
Well, and you know, I mean, it's different times, but there was a show on, uh, I won't say what the name of the show is, but it was on the Disney Channel that um, no one ever said well, that it had a, I don't want to say. Why? Uh, for very specific reasons. But um, there was a show that was on the Disney Channel that ha it was an animated show that if you watched, you knew that somebody involved with it knew something about autism. Um, right. I know we sat and watched it and we said, oh my goodness, there's things about this that have to do with autism and have to do with teaching things in a very ABA friendly way. Okay. Um, right. And then uh, the show went off the air, it was on for like three years, and at a conference, I met a woman who was an autism mom and found out that her husband was the writer, and in fact, it was. Right, <laughs> you right, know, right. But it was never mentioned, but everybody that watched it that was in the autism community went, okay, you know, we know, but everyone else was oblivious. And, really? and the show, you know, was on for three years, very successful, and if I said the name, you, I, I don't know, you don't have kids, so, well, but you, you would know, I'll tell you during a break. I'm not going to say because I don't. I don't want to out her husband because I don't even think the Disney people knew <laughs> that that's what he was writing about. You know what I mean? So, but in any case, I I think that this is remarkable. I think it's really smart, and I really appreciate that you're letting the autism community in on it right now, so that we can help you to make sure that it happens. And I think that's the takeaway I want everybody to know is that they well, can I participate. Yeah, I've had several people from all over contact me since the campaign started. They've contacted me and said, you know, I have a next door neighbor who's autistic or a nephew or whatever. And they all, they're starting to spread the word now. But that's the big thing with any campaign, any crowdfunding is get getting the word out. So, sure. so let's talk for just a second about what have you done? What did you take into consideration to make it sensory friendly? Uh, well, number one for me, because, because of my son, was that if you notice with a lot of Pixar movies and Saturday morning cartoons, they're very loud. Mm -hmm. There's just constant banter. And I think they're a little bit obnoxious. Yeah, I agree with that. They just, <laughs> my son, he would watch a movie like Cars and he liked what he looked at, but he couldn't tolerate listening to it. Interesting. I think, I think he lasted 10 minutes in the movie theater. and. So that was it. You know, so. I hadn't really thought about it before, but when my son loves and always loved to go to the movies, but when up until when he was six years old, we would take him to the movies and we had this one hat that had dog, literal dog ears, that there were flaps that you could put up or put down. And oh. during the movie, we would put the flaps down because that was the only way he could handle it. Wow. And just muffled it enough that he could sit through the movie and but he he doesn't seem to have a problem with that kind of thing anymore. But we did for and I had totally forgotten that until you just said that. <laughs> well, I I appreciate that and it's it's visually very stimulating and beautiful and yeah. I mean it's, be it's beautiful colors. I worked hard on those models and all those renders. <laughs> and, it, and it has, uh, uh, for me, when I look at it, it has elements of it with the robot that look a little steampunk. Is that deliberate as well? I think a lot of us computer guys have always been influenced by steampunk. There's just something about it. And then steampunk video games like the Bioshock series, I think we've all been influenced by that to some extent. What's really important for me with bot is with all the characters there needs to be a high level of detail because that is something that my son always fixated on especially the lines on the steam engine yeah. right and so if you notice 
some of the renders of the steam engine, his character's name is Milo, and some of the other characters, there's just a lot of detail, a lot of detail we put in there. And a, a lot of the colors are exaggerated. And because a traditional steam engine from the 1930s, they're basically, they were just black and gray. Yeah. But our steam engine is got lots of colors, lots of chrome. Yeah, it's just beautiful. I think it's a really remarkable endeavor. Alex, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask before we go? No, I, I just think it's a great show. Uh, when are we going to be able to see it? Yeah, what's the projection for when? Well, most, uh, if one animator can only create maybe one minute of usable animation per week, so wow. I need to get a team together. Okay. And uh, hopefully the campaign does well and we can just start churning out episode after episode. But uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping by summer or midsummer. And, and Todd, do you have a plan for how you want to disseminate it? Where you want, where will it be able, where will we be able to watch it? Uh, initially, it's going to be a free series that you can get online anywhere, Vimeo or, or YouTube. But once we have enough episodes, we'll be able to package it and use other, other distribution channels. It's just when the videos, it takes a long time to create one of these. So when the story, when the when a single story is only ten minutes long, um, it makes it you can't really charge anything for it. So and that's not really a goal of mine in the beginning, anyways. So, uh, really? but once we have several scenes built, it's going to be much easier and streamlined to build future scenes yeah. and just pumping them up, pumping them up. But um, I will say this, most of the scenes are already finished in terms of building them in the software. I've already modeled, built, lit a lot of this stuff. You just need to sit down and animate it. Well, uh, really remarkable. We want to encourage everybody who's watching to participate. Go to their Indiegogo site, and you can see for a, a donation as small as a dollar, you can really make a difference in this project. There are, uh, if you want to spend a little bit more money, there are some perks that can come with it, including being listed as an associate producer, right, Todd? That's big stuff there. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's And cool. for a very small amount, I might add, I think you're giving that away far too cheap, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so, Maybe. Uh, but I want to encourage people to go and check that out. And, and you can watch more and go to the site, botshow.org, to see more about what's happening and get updates. Todd, we wish you nothing but the best. I can't wait to see this finished product. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for all your help. Thank you. Thanks for stopping by. And thank you, Alex, for being here. We're going to take a break, and we're going to give our viewers an opportunity to watch The A Word. This is the ongoing documentary being made by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half and has begun early intensive behavioral intervention. He's getting really good quality ABA therapy, and we're seeing progress. Progress is starting to happen. Um, but it isn't something that's just easy and shows up without some hard work on everybody's part, the family and the child. So take a look. This is the A word. Wow, you have so many words today. Oh, he's just booming with language. It's crazy. He can say two syllable words now. He can say purple, guitar. Guitar. Uh, guitar. Before it was just tar, now it's guitar. So it's getting really close. You can say pancake. Right? And when did this start, the two syllables? Um, I noticed it Monday, so four days ago, that he, that he started to say on his own. And it says, 
guitar. And he's counting now. The words aren't clear, but they're the same every time. One day Cheryl said one, and he said two. And then she said two, and he said three. And, and then she came to me and said, he counts to ten. And I said, no, he doesn't, because yeah, he counts to ten. Welcome back to Autism Live. That was the A word. And I, I wanted to take just a second to talk about how incredible I think this series is. Uh, there are a library of videos now on the website that Emily is showing you, the YouTube page just for the A word, that you can go there and watch all of them. Uh, it's a lot like um, House of Cards on Netflix. You can sit and watch the whole thing all at once if you want to, uh, or you can watch one episode and do a keyword search and find the, the thing that you want to know about uh, and just watch that episode. But uh, there's a cornucopia of good stuff in this in this series. Uh, if you're a parent who is saying, okay, we're about to start ABA and I'm going to have therapists in my home, you know, I want to get a look at what does it look like, uh, you know, what kind of demands are going to be made on me and my home, great, watch it. Uh, if you are wanting to know what quality ABA therapy looks looks like and what progress looks like, watch it. Uh, if you want to see specific interventions like in this one where they're talking about redirecting. Because this is a skill. 
Let's not kid ourselves. None of us were born with the ability to redirect. Um, and I think that a lot of parents start out when, and I'm talking every child, neurotypical, autism, whatever is going on, we start out attempting to do redirection as a very natural course of just uh, being a parent. Although I will say this, not everyone was raised with the idea of redirection. So for some people, it's a completely foreign concept, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can learn redirection, and if you can learn redirection with a child on the autism spectrum and learn how to do it effectively with your child, let me just tell you that your day is so different. Um, that, you know, there was that one moment when Jack Riley has been used to, if he doesn't want to do what you want him to do, he's been used to running down that hallway to the door, open the door, and he's gone. And he'll just run away from you, right? And we've talked a lot on this show about children who elope and who bolt and who wander. And that some of the different reasons why somebody does that. Well, one of the reasons, one of the potential reasons why someone runs away is when they don't want to do what's happening right here. Year. You know, uh, if every day I had to come into work and do tax preparation, God bless tax prep, <laughs> people who do tax prep, because I couldn't do it. If every day I came to work and you said, you know, you're going to have to sit here and do your taxes or somebody else's taxes, I would start running down the hallway. <laughs> I would with my hair on fire because I wouldn't want to do it, right? I just, it would make me break out in hives. So our kids are like that. And, and it can be as simple as that they don't want to do it because it's boring, because there's nothing about doing tax preparation that's particularly painful, right? It's not, you know, somebody shoving uh, hot nails, hot needles up under my fingernails. There's nothing painful about it, but it's a level of boring that I don't want to do. Um, our kids can be the same way. If it's not exciting enough for them, they want to go. And they get used to a pattern of things, right? So Jack Riley is used to, I don't like what you're doing. It's difficult for me or it's boring or whatever. I'm going to run down the hallway. And what happens is that mom or dad runs after him. And it's just a short little hallway to the door in the room. Um, and they run after him. And they'll pick him up and bring him back. Well, that five seconds was reinforcing enough, think about it, he got attention, he got picked up. Um, wouldn't you keep doing it? Wouldn't you keep running away from the thing that you want to do? It makes sense. There's nothing illogical or random about him running away, right? But it's preventing him from learning. So we have to do something. We got to redirect him. We got to make it so that he can't escape and we got to redirect him and not get into a battle about it, right? Because how many of us have had some version of this where we say, no, you can't go. And then you become the goalie, right? Nope, 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 nope. You can't do this. I remember very early on one of the, um, before my son even started ABA, he had a speech therapist and she would ask him to do something and he would run to the door and he was very good at opening. It was one of those little lever doors. He was very good at opening it. And she went over the first day and put her hand on the door and said, my door you don't open it, my door. And he, you know, threw the mother of all tantrums. Like, I, that's not going to work for me. And if you think about it, first he ran to the door to get out. And then when that didn't work and he realized he wasn't going to get out the door and she said, my door, you know, then he threw a tantrum just so that he could get out of it doing that. So not unusual for our kids to want to do this, but she was very good at redirection. And so she told him on the first day, she said, my door, right? 
and made sure on that first day that he knew he wasn't getting out via the door. And then when he tantrumed, she brought him, she didn't say, well, let's not have a tantrum about this. She brought him over to a table where she had a bunch of dinosaurs very reinforcing to my child and she had a can of shaving cream and and you know how she juggled you know and she very calmly you know picked him up while he was tantruming and brought him over sat him down there was no emotion uh but there was a little dinosaur and she took the shaving cream and she went woo uh made a big noise with it and she said get the dinosaur and I, my husband and I sat there and looked at her like, you're out of your mind, woman. And my son kind of looked at her like, what? <laughs> Who just changed the rules here? And she prompted him hand over hand. And she said, get the dinosaur. And she put his hand through the shaving cream. And he immediately had that sensor reaction of, you know, it kind of has a smell to it and has a feel to it. And he was like, you know, not happy about that. Right. And she went, yay, you got the dinosaur. Right. And then she, uh, the, the next dinosaur and put his hand through the shaving cream. Now he decides, Hey, this is kind of fun. It kind of flies everywhere. And, and I, my husband and I now were on board and we were going, yay, you got the dinosaur. Suddenly, you know, he of course wanted the can. And that's what ultimately was the thing that was reinforcing for him was burying the dinosaur in the shaving cream. Uh, so eventually, you know, here we have a child who's not yet three and he's pushing the button on the canister to, to cover the, but the point was he was redirected. They found something more reinforcing to him for him than the door. Now that took maybe three different times that we went to speech before he well and truly got it. He wasn't going out that door and the tantrum wasn't going to get him out of it. Um, but that she had something cool for him to do. And she just kept redirecting him. And it wasn't always the shaving cream, right? Because after a while, eh, it wears off. And she, he was still nonverbal at this point, but, you know, she would teach him. So he would do all done. Um, and I think, is that all done or is all done something else? Anyway, there was a, there was a motion for when he was all done and he would do all done. She would make him help clean up, which the first time she did that, I was like, good luck with that lady. Um, but you know, in her speech was the first time that I saw a glimmer of the fact that my son was going to be able to learn. And it gave me so much hope. We were in the process of waiting to start ABA. And I thought, you know, if we had just more of this, maybe, maybe we could get in there and get to him. And that isn't exactly what happened, but that redirection, oh my gosh, every time you're about to have a battle with your child, if you stop and say, what do I really want and what can I redirect them to? Uh, when you can get your head in, in that space and start using that tool, you will see some progress and it will make, it will be progress in your life as well, because you can avoid, it's like, you know, the path where you see the tantrum coming straight at you and you go whoop and go right on. <laughs> And you missed the tantrum. Love it. Uh, so redirection. And if you want to know more about redirection, watch on the A word again as Jessica. And there are so many times that she just redirects him. And again, part of it is just staying passive, not getting all emotional about it, not giving the lecture. Uh, you know, I think about that speech and language pathologist, you putting her hand on saying my door. And that was it. There was no further discussion, but there was a motion and her hand, my door. And it was very clear, 
But that's not, you know, she didn't say my door. It was just my door, right? No ifs, ands, or buts. We knew exactly what was going on. So again, a word, so useful. Check it out. We're going to take a break and be back with more after these messages. Stick with us. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's Intelligent Preference Assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it! Let's play! Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it! Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go. Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win. Success. Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini game. Track your child's progress with easy to read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back. So sad, we have news that Matt Asner will not be able to join us today. He's had something come up, and so he will not be here. Hopefully, he'll be back next week. But it does give us more opportunity to talk about some of the different things that you guys have written in. Uh, somebody wrote in and said that they would like some examples of a token economy. Uh, great topic, something we could talk about ad infinitum, right? Ad nauseum, that's what my mother used to say. Um, okay, so if you think about it, uh, a, token, a token economy is anytime we have something that's reinforcing that really doesn't have value but can be traded for something else of value. Now, you might think to yourself, well, I have no idea what you're talking about because I've never done a token economy before. I have no idea what that means. And I know that that's not true because all of us participate in token economies every single day. Money is the perfect example of what a token economy is. Because if you think about it, um, you know, and picture a dollar bill, what can you do with a dollar bill that you can't exchange it for something of value? The dollar bill itself, unless you're somebody who is a money collector, right, and you're going to put it in a plastic case and you're going to look at it because that happens to be reinforcing to you, and there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people in my family that like to collect coins and old money. Um, but if you think about it, it doesn't have any other value except for what you can trade it for. So when when you go to work, you know, you're you're not hoping to, oh yay, I just get money and I'm just gonna sit on my money and you know that's all I'm ever gonna do. You have things that you trade your money for. You trade it for food, you trade it for rent, you trade it for clothing, for entertainment, you know, tickets to the movie theater. Uh, by the way, tickets 
to the movie theater are another token economy. You're, you're paying to get in, and, and they can't get you into the movie theater directly. They're, they don't have the ticket booth at the door. By the way, they used to way, way back in the dark ages, but now you go to a movie theater and there's eight movies, right? So they want to give you a ticket to get you in the door, and then somebody's going to take the ticket. So there's a pause between you, you traded the money for something, uh, but there's a pause before you can get your reward, which is the movie. And so they gave you a ticket, and that is a token economy. So anything can be a token economy, right? Um, I, we did the video where we went with the A word to the zoo, and I was saying I didn't, I, I knew I was going to have my hands full because I knew I was going to have a microphone, I was going to have my child, and there was going to be a lot going on, and I wanted to be a good host right for the event both as the as the host of the segment but i also wanted to be a host to the the family for the a word but i got to be a parent at the same time so i got 85 different things going on and i wanted to have a good time <laughs> You know, on top of all that, and I wanted my son to have a good time and to get along with everybody and to be on his best behavior. So I know that one of the ways to do that, because what are you gonna do? Just keep giving them rewards? We we don't want our kids to turn into the little, you, you know, you see the dog trainer shows where they have a little pouch of the little meat things and the dogs come out and the dog does something and the dog gets the meat right away, right? I don't know about you, but as a parent, I don't want to be walking around with, you know, potato chips. And every time my son does something, I go, here's a potato chip, right? Because my life isn't structured that way. I have to wait for my reward. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if they, there's no token system you can teach a dog. But our kids, you can. You can help them to wait for the reward. It helps if the token is something that's really rewarding when you're starting out, right? Um, but down the road, it can get less exciting if they know that it's going to turn into something down the road. So there we were at the zoo. And I was saying to one of the therapists here, I said, one of the BCBAs, I said, I need to have some sort of a token economy. I know I've got one on my phone that works really great. Um, but I really don't want to have the phone out and be doing this. It just takes too much time. And so we decided what I would do is turn my hand into a token economy. So I had a pen right? That I kept behind my ears so that I have my hands available, right? But whenever he would do something fabulous, I would take the pen down and I would make a hash mark on the hand. And the thing with token economies is that you got to be clear and there has to be something that's really rewarding and you have, they have to know what the rules are. It's not that you can never change the rules. You can, but you need to be clear about when you do that as well. So I said to my son, I think what it was that I said, you need to get 30. I'm going to give you one for every time you do something really good. And I went over what a really good thing would be. If you were super duper polite um, with people who were asking you questions by making eye contact, that was going to count as super and answering them, that was going to count as polite. You could get a, a mark for being polite. If he showed kindness to Jack Riley in a big brother kind of way and, and was being very nice to him and including him and, and being gentle with him, that would count as another one. I, I, we went over and I don't remember what all of them were, but I said, you know, these are things that will get you hashtags or, um, marks, hash marks. And, um, 
so, and I promised him that if he got 30 of them, I think it was that he got to go to In-N-Out for dinner, which is a big deal. Big, big, big deal. <laughs> My son uh, loves going through the drive-thru and In-N-Out. I know all of you don't have an In-N-Out and I feel sorry for you. But uh, in any case, so he would do things and it sort of fed on itself so that we got into the middle of the, the visit at the zoo and he was really aware, aware of, you know, did I get, you know, because I would say, hey, that was really good. And I would make a mark and I would make a mark. Um, and he knew that I was going to pay good on it. I was going to make good on it. That I'm, you know, if I say I'm going to take you to In-N-Out, I'm going to take you to In-N-Out. Because you have to be good. You have to be worthy of your word, right? Um, if... I had made him work so hard for the 30 hash marks and then said, oh, you know, we're not going to In-N-Out today. Um, I would have a weekend of misery. Let's just say that. Uh, and probably longer than that, because the next time I went to someplace and I said, hey, 30 hash marks and you're gonna, I'm going to take you to In-N-Out, he'd go, no, you're not. No, you're not. And my son is verbal enough to say that. Imagine the child that doesn't have the words but they know it. They know it. There's no point. If there's no way for me to win what I really want, if I'm doing the work, I want the paycheck. How long would you stay at your job if they just decided to stop paying you or decided, oh, I'll pay you some of the time, right? Our kids are the exact same way. So we have to be precision with the, the token economy. And you got to say, it's going to take four stickers or it's going to take 30 marks or it's going to take, you know, five stars. Don't feel like you have to go and spend a whole bunch of money. When they first started this with Jem, um, it was a piece of paper on the table for the therapist. And he would ask Jem to do something. And if Jem would do it, Jem would get a star. And he would say, get five stars, buddy, and you can go play. And so my son would be like, oh, well, I want the five stars, right? And, and it was just the therapist drawing them on the piece of paper. My, he'd say, you know, touch the car. And my son would touch the car and he'd go, good, you got a star. And he paired it with praise, right? It's still a token economy. He's getting a star, which is postponing. He's going to trade those stars for being able to go play with his cars, um, and it worked. And what was funny that even before my son was verbal, he got it, you guys. He totally did. He would sit at the table and a therapist would say, okay, a newer therapist would say, okay, touch the car. And, you know, Jem would touch the car and he would look at the paper. And if they wouldn't mark it down, like maybe they mark it down on their paper, but not on his with the star. And he would touch their hand and point to the paper like, um, excuse me, I want some credit here for what I did. Right. Um, and then later when he could talk, he would always say that to the therapist. They would, you know, he would say, hey, I get credit for that, <laughs> you know, because he knew it. It added up to him being able to have access to the things that he wanted to do, whatever that was during the day. Which brings up the next thing. A token economy only works if the thing that you can turn it in for is something that's actually rewarding to you. Imagine, uh, I'm going to go back to the tax thing, because uh, I just hate taxes. It's tax time and it's weighing on me. Uh, but imagine if 
every year that you did your taxes, you got a refund, right? So you would think, oh, that's a reinforcing thing to do because I, I want to get my refund. But if every year that you got your refund, you had to pay for something that was not fun, like, you know, getting your teeth drilled, right? After a time, it wouldn't be as exciting for you to do the taxes because we'd be like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do the taxes and yeah, I'm going to get a refund and just going to mean that I'm going to go to the dentist and I'm going to get my teeth drilled. And I don't like to get my teeth drilled, so I'm not going to go to the dentist and I'm not going to have the dentist bill and I'm not going to do my taxes and that'll take care of that. It's not really logical thinking, but it's how we behave. It is. And our kids are no different. So you've got to make sure... Uh, you know, they say the punishment has to fit the crime. Well, the same thing I hear Dr. Grandpa say all the time. If the child, if, if the task is difficult for the child, the reward has to it has to exceed the difficulty of doing the task. Otherwise, nobody's going to do it. They're not going to do it long term. So token economies, though, are really remarkable, and they can come in lots of different ways. I've seen people use pebbles for a token economy that I'm going to, you know, uh, put five pebbles in your left pocket. And when I say that you, and, and token economies can work uh, as something that you get or something that you lose. So you can say you've got five pebbles in your left pocket and we're assuming that you're doing a good job and if we go home and you still have two pebbles left in your pocket, in your left pocket, then you get to, you know, watch TV you, uh, before you go to bed, right? Whatever it is that's reinforcing to the child. And then if the child misbehaves or do so, does something that they, you, you know, that you didn't want them to do, you can say, oh, that's going to cost you one pebble and then you can either take the pebble away or they put it in the right pocket. Um, so you can do it taking away or adding. I think that research bears this out, that adding is more effective, but sometimes for different circumstances, you just can't make that work for whatever reason. Um, but you can do that with it, adding or subtracting with the pebbles in the pocket. Um, you know, you can write on your hand if you have to. But as I mentioned, they have token economies. If you go on the iTunes store or the Google um, Play, they have free and they have uh, apps that cost a couple of bucks um, that are token economies and, and go up because you can customize them. But the one that I have that's free on my phone, my son loves to set it up, that if we're going to go someplace, um, he, you know, he can customize what the little stickers are. He can customize it. There's a place where you can say, you know, there's a picture of him and it says, Jem is working for computer time. And it tells it right on the thing that he has to get five of them uh, in order to win it. So all kinds of, and, I, and I've used many more. We, we started a, a new one recently. I can't think what the name of it is. Um, but I wanted to track something over a longer period of time uh, to, for, to win a bigger prize. And so we, we've got a different app for that. 
it, it really, the sky is the limit. When he was little, we had one of those Fisher-Price piggies that counted coins, right? But then after he could count, we used it to, um, he, we gave him the coins and he could put them in the piggy bank. And at the end of the day, we would open up the piggy bank and he could spend them. And we had a chart that said, you know, five coins equals 15 minutes of cartoons or, you know, 20 coins equals uh, being able to stay up later or, you know, whatever it is that's reinforcing to your kids. So um, just have fun with it and, and ask yourself, what do I need? Uh, what, what behavior is it that I want to encourage? What, uh, what do I think realistically my child could do and start out very slow. I remember in the beginning, he had little Buzz Lightyear stickers and there were two of them and he just had to get two in order to get the thing. Uh, well, even before that, there were Mickey Mouse stickers actually, and he had to get one to be able to go play. Um, and then it went from there. Eventually he went to school and he had a sticker book that had Spider-Man stuff on it. And, um, there's just no end to the different ways that you can do token economies, but they're really, really effective. And, and try to make, at least when the kids are starting out, try to make the sticker thing effective. We had a thing for school, a token economy for school, um, a template. I'll, I'll poke around and see if we still have it because we can post that too. If, if You know what, write to us if you want that. Uh, I don't want to post it and take up space if, if everybody doesn't want it, but if somebody wants it, write and we'll email it to you. Um, in any case, you can design your own and they are fabulous and the, make sure that it serves the purpose that you need to do, but it just helps to make it so that it's worthwhile to work towards a reward. The reward has to be worth it though. All right, we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with more after these messages. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Lee Sackerman. I'm the executive director of TACA. Welcome to TACA Facts. Talk about curing autism has been around for 13 years. We drive and empower families uh, and support their day-to-day -day lives on their autism journey. What I hope to bring to you in these segments talk called Talk of Facts is really just the questions, real questions and real answers for families living with autism and what they can do to help better the life for their family. Welcome back. I'm, my, uh, my thing is not working at the moment, but I wanted to take a couple of seconds to talk about some of the other questions that you guys have uh, written in. Um, I want to take a second to talk about a grandma has written in and said that one of her grandchildren has recently been diagnosed with autism. Um, and to quote her, she says there's, uh, there's also some potentially some other issues, some mental health issues as well. I don't know the age of the child, but uh, from what grandma has written in, the mom is really burned out, which is absolutely no surprise to any of us who have gone through the process of having a child diagnosed, right? Um, and that the mom is starting to uh, try to get the child into a program, but that it seems very overwhelming. And I love that grandma is writing in and saying, how can I offer to give her help without giving her too much to think about? And honestly, I just, uh, first of all, I kind of want to cry because I think we forget sometimes that, um, I think we forget sometimes that when our child is diagnosed with autism, it, you know, we kind of go to ground and, 
and it feels like it's just happening to us, the this this small family. And what we what we forget sometimes is that it affects the larger family um, and that close friends, it affects them as well, too. I, I remember so distinctly feeling so incredibly alone when my child was was diagnosed with autism. And it was about, um, gosh, maybe nine months after he was diagnosed that we decided to have a fundraiser. And it was because we literally could not afford uh, to do anything that we wanted to do with our child outside of, uh, like, you know, we needed to get some medical tests done. Uh, our ABA was being covered by the state, but it had meant that I had to leave my job. So everything was in turmoil financially and my child wasn't healthy, healthy. And we knew we needed to address that, that that was going to take a lot of money and our insurance wasn't going to cover it. And so we had a fundraiser and we invited all of our friends and family to donate things for the silent auction and to come to this event and be there. And when I tell you, my skin was crawling at the idea of it. I thought, oh, this is so pathetic. How horrible is this that uh, we're having a fundraiser for, to take care of our kid? This is embarrassing, right? And it wasn't at all. I, I've learned a lot about that now. But what happened, too, is that so many friends and family came or called or sent things long distance and said, we have suffered so much not knowing what to do for you. And that had never occurred to me, that had never occurred to me that your friends and your family have no idea. Uh, I, I've shared before on the show that at one point I had an argument with my mother and I said, you know what I need right now is support or silence. And if you can't offer those things, then I can't have you here, you know, but you can be supportive or you can be silent. And it never occurred to me that she didn't even know how to be supportive. I was so busy dealing with what was happening for us that I had no time left to tell other people. I didn't know how to deal with it. So how would I have told other people how to deal with it? It's a really hard thing. So I love the fact that this grandma, this beautiful grandma is writing in and saying, I see this and I don't know what to do to help because I don't want to overwhelm. And I got to say that, you know, that alone, uh, is huge, right? I, I remember, uh, shortly after it was right before Jem was diagnosed with autism, that autism speaks b became a reality. And I got to see, um, the, the, I can't think what her name is, uh, Mrs. Wright, uh, do a talk. And she said, all the grandparents have to step up. All the grandparents have to see what they can do. And my mom took that very seriously. Right. Um, but sometimes grandparents can do things and they can push and it can be not great. I mean, even Autism Speaks, if you look at some of the things that Katie Wright has written about what her parents have done with Autism Speaks have not made her life easier right? Their intention was good and, and has helped a lot of people, but it hasn't always made her life easier. So I, I love that this grandma is taking that into consideration. So kudos out the gate for that. Um, you know, and, and it's difficult because of course, what I want to say to you is that this mom has to be helped to get her child a quality ABA program as soon as possible, that it needs to happen yesterday, and that 
none of us in this moment in time knows what that will take. It may take uh, grandma coming and babysitting three days a week. It may take grandma paying for the gas. It may take grandma filling out a grant application, right? Um, it may be that when grandma says, you have to do this, that the mom says no. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know what to do after you tell someone you must do 40 hours of ABA with a young child with autism and that it doesn't matter what their level of functioning is when you start, the equation is still you got to shoot for those 40 hours. Now, research says to us that it's between 30 and 40 hours. Okay. And you'll hear some people talk about 25. But we know that it's optimal between 30 and 40. We know that it's optimal between 30 and 40 if you start with the child before they're six. We know that it, it, that's irregardless of whether they're high functioning or whether they are more affected, that it's, you really want to shoot for that. So my thing that I would say to grandparents and parents is if you know that it's between 30 and 40, like any good salesperson, then you got to start on the high end and say, we're not going to settle for anything less than 40. And then if you have to settle for 31, you'll know that you're within the window. But if you walk in and you say to these providers, well, we really got to be between 30 and 40, they're going to give you 30. Uh, or they're going to give you 25, right? So start your negotiation at 40. Make up your mind. Uh, I love, have you ever seen that little book called Life's Little Instruction Book? It was it, big in the, the 90s. And there's one little saying in it that says, when you're going after Moby Dick, pack the tartar sauce. And uh, that's always been a big joke in my household. And when you're about to do something big, we go and we buy a fresh jar of tartar sauce and I put it up on the windowsill to remind me we're going after Moby Dick. And when we decided, okay, we're going for 40 hours, I went and bought a jar of tartar sauce and we put it up on the windowsill and I said, that's it. And you, you get the analogy here because if you're going after Moby Dick, you have to know that you're going to get it. And if, if you know that you're going to get Moby Dick, then, you're, then you've got the tartar sauce ready because anything less is unacceptable. You've got to make up your mind that it's 40. And you can know that as a grandma, but mom may say no. So all I can tell you is if that happens, you got to backtrack and start asking why and do a lot of listening. Why? Why can't you? Is it that you're afraid about the money? Well, you know, there are, there are grants and there's insurance and there's this and let's not say no because of money until we find out what the situation is. I would say that to all of you. Um, it may be the fear of it's too much. Gosh, I certainly had that fear. I was 150% sure that there was no way that I could do four years of 40 hour therapy. Uh, you know, and we didn't, it wasn't four years of 40 hour therapy, but we did five years and for, you know, the first two years, it was pretty much 40. So, <clears throat> you know, I, but I know that if you'd asked me, I would have said to you, I can't. 
Uh, so maybe if that's what you get back, that that's what the fear is, that you say, okay, well, let's just try it. Let's just see. And I'll, I'll be here and I'll help you. But every family is going to need different things, you know? And that's why I say, I don't know what the help is going to look like. It, it may be help with the other kids if there are other kids. Um, it may be, you know, helping with housework. It may be learning the ABA techniques and being available as a babysitter so that this mom can get some respite. But you got to pack the tartar sauce and you got to, you got to see if you can get her started towards that 40 hour. That's going to be your benchmark. That's your Moby Dick. And, and you're going to have to massage and, and, you know, really work with this mom to overcome whatever her obstacles are to doing that. It could be that she is just simply too tired right now. If you think about, if I was to ask you for two years to not get good quality rest, and at the end of that two years, have you go to a meeting and have you be told, it's never going to get any better, which is what a lot of people get told in that meeting when their child is diagnosed. Oh, and by the way, and it's not just autism, right? Because that's what I'm hearing here. Oh, it's these other things too, and it's never going to get better. You are not going to be in your highest, best decision-making self in that moment. Maybe you need to go and say, I'm, you go sleep for 10 hours. You're off the clock. And then in 10 hours, after you've had some rest and had a good meal and your house is clean, then we'll talk about how we're going to get to this 40-hour thing, right? Uh, so I don't know. You're going to have to play it by ear. Um, and she's going to get overwhelmed no matter what. But... Uh, she will be happy and she's going to hate you for a while anyway, right? Because uh, there's a lot of stuff that she's going to hate right now. But you can't give up on her and you can't give up on this child, right? Because you're that awesome of a grandma. Just keep listening. Just keep listening. And the one, the only for sure thing is that you're shooting for the 40 hours. Everything else, listen and adapt. That's the best thing you can do. And, and ask her, how can I support you? What do you need? She may not be able to tell you, but you listen. All right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and answer some more questions. Stick with us. Hello, activist. Here we are at step 10 of autism empowerment. I like to call this the three L's. Live in the now, love thyself, and laugh. First, live in the now. We have to stop on occasion to remind ourselves to be present. Because as autism parents, we're constantly planning ahead for our children's future. We miss the joys of the present moment. Don't miss out on your child's childhood. Catch the joy as it flies by. Love thyself. Never beat yourself up. And forgive yourself for the things you wish you'd done or the things you think you've done wrong. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Eleanor Roosevelt said that. Be a good role model of self-esteem for your child. It affects them. 
And finally, don't forget to laugh. Despite all the trials and tribulations in this world of autism, it is still a beautiful world and often a very funny one. I try to surround myself with friends and family who make me smile and laugh every day. Heard any good jokes lately? Pass them on. Until next time, keep the faith. A couple of quick notes that uh, on the show tomorrow, ask Dr. Doreen. She will be here with us and she'll be answering your questions. I do have a bunch of questions from the break, but I've got room for more because a lot of the things are in the same arena. So uh, if you have questions that you want to ask Dr. Doreen, make sure that you send those in tonight and tomorrow, and we will be asking those questions of her in the morning. Then in the second hour, let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy, Nancy Allspot Jackson, who you just saw. And by the way, said the same quote that I said said earlier how fortuitous was that Eleanor Roosevelt uh, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent one of my favorite quotes too uh, Nancy will be with us and Nancy is the executive director of autism care and treatment today a wonderful organization that provides grants for families for the things that they need. Remember, we were just talking about, you know, I don't know what an individual family needs because we all need something different. One person might need somebody to babysit so that they can sleep. Another person might need help getting a repair done to their car so that they can get to speech therapy. Everybody's going to need something different. Some people need a fence to contain their child while they're working on wandering. Other people need a medical test. We need medical tests for my son to help him to get healthy. So, you know, everybody needs something different. And I love the fact that ACT Today doesn't just decide and go, well, you know, let's give iPads to everyone, which there would be nothing wrong with that, right? But on the list of what an individual family needs, iPad might be, you know, number four, because what they really need is a lock on the door so that the child can't get out or an alarm on the door so that the child can't get out, right? And an iPad would be nice, but we have to ensure that the child is safe first. So, uh, and by the way, Act Today does give away a lot of iPads, right? It's, they're not anti-iPad at all, but I'm saying that it's different for every family. There've been families that needed a trampoline. So I love the fact that Act Today does that. They have four different times in the year where they uh, allow you to fill out a grant application. They're not in a grant phase right now, but they will be again soon, but a really remarkable organization. So she'll be with us tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I'm hopeful we're going to have a really amazing guest tomorrow, uh, but it's a little bit in question right now, so I'm not going to give that away. Then on Thursday, we will be here. Normally, we have Dr. Del Nadowski and Dr. Jonathan Tarbox with us on Thursday. They will not be able to join us. They are busy finishing the book, and they are all going to a conference, Cal Abba. Um, there are amazing conferences that happen in uh, different areas of the country where ABA providers, all ABA providers, people who are working on autism and people who are working with ABA and other applications get together. They present papers. Uh, they have the international one, which will be in Chicago over the Memorial Day weekend. And individual areas have uh, conferences as well. So this is the California version of it that's happening this week, this weekend. So they will not be here with us on Thursday. But instead, this is very exciting to me, we have a wonderful guest who's going to be with us. And um, of course, I've completely forgotten his name. Uh, wait, 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 wait. It's here. It's here. I have it. I've lost it. 
a young gentleman who is on the spectrum who has done a TED talk, Dan Wendler. Thank you, Emily, uh, because I have uh, cottage cheese for brains today. But anyway, he will be with us on Thursday, and we're looking forward to having a great conversation with him about uh, all the things that he has been through in his life and all the wonderful speaking engagements that he's doing. He's a gentleman with a lot to say, very inspirational. So, And we've got a couple of other stories that we're working on for you to close out this fabulous, feel-good February month. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. All right, we're going to take another short break, and then we're going to come back to close out the show by answering some more questions that you guys have about what strategies can be implemented when the child does not see that his behavior is inappropriate. Stick with us. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Smarty. It's February, and for this month, we have made a template for you. You can find it on facebook.com slash autism live. And this activity works on your child's pincer grasp. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are scissors, a hole puncher, a glue stick, shoelace, cardstock, and our template that you can print from facebook.com slash autism live. First, I'm gonna take my template and glue it to cardstock. And the reason I'm using a glue stick is so that it doesn't ripple, because if you use the wet glue, it's gonna make it all lumpy. Once I have my template glued to my cardstock, I'm gonna take my scissors and cut out the heart. Now that I have my heart cut out, I'm gonna cut out the holes with the hole puncher. This is where your child's gonna take their shoelace and start threading through it. Now that I have put all the hole punches through the template, now I'm gonna get my kiddo to come over and take the shoelace and start sewing the outside of the heart. Shoelaces are great because they have the tip already making it easier for the child to thread it through the holes and they come in great different colors and patterns. As you can see we found some really festive hearts. Here's my completed Valentine. Now it makes sense, right? I love you so very much. <laughs> as you can see, the child has a lot of opportunity to work on their pincer grass and find wool as they sew around the heart. I hope you enjoyed doing this with your child. Until next time, craft on guys. Bye. Can you see me flying by your side? Welcome back to Autism Live. So we had a question that came in over the break. Uh, what strategies can be implemented when the child does not see that his behavior is inappropriate? Okay. First of all, I don't know the age or the, the functioning level of the child, but here's some ideas that I can give you about letting a child know when something is inappropriate. First of all, our kids are they can see things very clearly when we outline rules very specifically. So we want to make sure that there's not a lot of gray area and we want to make sure that we teach rules to them in a way that they can understand in their functionality. So if you have a child who does not have good verbal skills, you're not going to explain the rules using words. I mean, you will, but that won't be the way that you'll count on them learning them. You'll give visuals, right? Um, so 
I love uh, Disney's website actually has some things um, that are, work really well for this. There, there, I can't think what the name of it is, but there's a game that used to be on the Disney website, and I think it's still there, uh, Playhouse Disney, about um, Teach My Dragon manners and it, it was a little cartoon with a boy and he would sit there and he would say let's teach my dragon some manners and the dragon would come in and he would do something he would act something out like he would sneeze all over the place and then the little boy would say is this what you need to do when you're sneezing right and then the kids could push something and and say you know which which things should you do right um so but it it played it out so maybe you need to look online and find a movie or a cartoon that shows the good behavior or the bad behavior, depending on what it is that you, and maybe it's both that you want to, depending on what the lesson is. But you want to make sure that the child understands what the rules are and have them be short and succinct. So I love when I walk into any good teacher's classroom, and I don't care what grade it is, if it's kindergarten, preschool, or uh, up through 12th grade, um, um, there are rules posted. Here are the rules of the classroom. And I think anything over five rules is too much, but there should always be good rules posted in the classroom. We respect uh, other people. We respect stuff, <laughs> other people's belongings. Uh, we don't talk out of turn. Whatever the teacher decides, these are the five rules. Um, and we make sure that everybody understands those rules because there's no point arguing with somebody about whether something is appropriate or inappropriate, right? We just make a rule and we reinforce the rule and we reward when someone follows the rules. So sometimes that's rewarding the absence of a behavior, or sometimes it's rewarding behavior itself. Sometimes if that really isn't working, we can do a response cost, where if the behavior happens, then something else gets taken away that was desirable. So setting up the rule, first and foremost. Um, it can be really difficult to explain gradations of why something happens. I remember being so afraid that I was going to have a child because he would just spontaneously get naked. He would just take off his clothes, he'd get hot, and he would take off his clothes. Now, in a two-year-old, that's cute, right? In a four-year-old, it's not as cute, and in an eight-year-old, it's completely unacceptable, right? Um, and you can say to people, oh, you know, my child has autism. People, you know, by the time he's 30, doesn't matter, right? It's unacceptable. And people lose their patience with that kind of thing. So we went about teaching my son, you know, there are certain things we don't do in certain places. And so we started with other lessons about, um, you know, things that didn't matter as much to me, like we don't scream in a bank. So we had to teach what rules are first. Um, and we didn't go over why. Look, when you, when your children get to the point where they ask why, that then you're at the point where you can explain it to them. But a lot of our kids, until they get to that level of functionality, they don't know to ask why. We can capitalize on that, right? By teaching them, here are the rules. And when we follow the rules, the lights come on and the party happens. And when we don't follow the rules, it's not that bad things happen, but none of the good things happen. So we want to catch them doing good things so that we show them what the party looks like. And we want to have a non-reaction for the bad things. Um, 
And if we have to later on, we can implement that response cost where we take something away. But make sure that they know what the rules are. And I think a lot of our kids are visual. For the longest time, we were trying to teach my son from preschool up through third grade. We tried so hard to teach my son that he couldn't lean on other people. Uh, it was okay when he was in kindergarten that he would go up and sit in somebody's lap, right? It was cute. It was funny. Uh, a lot less funny by the time he was in first grade and he would go up to other kids in class and he would lean on them. He liked that physical contact uh, and he would lean into his aid. And we kept on saying to him, you can't do that. You can't do that. And we had rules and we had all of this and we thought we had made it abundantly clear to him. It wasn't until I watched a, a documentary about a child who had a developmental disability who was included in a classroom and we watched this child in kindergarten up through third grade and my son was watching with me and he watched the boy run and throw himself on top of another little boy and the little boy said stop it and my son said why is he doing that and I said because you do that you he likes that and and this is why this rule as soon as he saw it it clicked and we don't have that issue anymore. So get them a visual representation of why it's undesirable and make sure that you're clear about the rules. I didn't realize we're out of time, but we'll be back tomorrow for Ask Dr. Doreen and Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I can't wait to talk with you guys then. Keep your questions for Dr. Doreen coming in. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. Bye-bye for now.